And then it's crazy how how quickly the human nature sets in and you go into survival mode where normally really good people will stoop to the level of, I'm going to do whatever it takes to keep my family alive. Welcome in to Like a Man. I'm your host, Miles Nielsen. On today's show, I brought on Travis Tolman, and he lost his house during Hurricane Harvey that hit a few years back. And the way he responded to it is one of my favorite things ever. He did something really cool after. Before I go any further, let's give it a listen. My father and I, and I went out and started trying to dig some trenches just around to kind of divert the water away, which was pretty frantic and, and hard work. But uh, looking back, it was completely pointless. Um, after we realized this isn't going to do anything, we then went inside and started getting everything up off of the floor. Like, you know, we had those five gallon buckets you get at Home Depot or whatever that were full of food storage and whatnot that we'd get as much as we can up high we had a piano and you know just the the bed the dressers the nightstand stuff like that and then you know just everything out of the base cabinets up into the uppers and throw it on bunk beds and whatnot just as as frantically as we could anticipating that more than likely it's we're gonna get water in the house and so i don't know how long i mean it was raining the day all day the day before and the day of and then in the early late afternoon early evening it came in the front door and then and we got a picture of it it really just looks like a puddle just on the tile right in front of the door but then at that point pretty quickly it just starts seeping in at the base of all the floors all over everywhere our kids at the time were six months two years, four years, and six years. And the uh, four-year-old was pretty excited because she thought we're going to get to go swimming inside of our house. (laughs) And as parents of little kids, you know, we're trying to hold it together and not act super scared or, you know, not freak them out. And so, you know, we tried to put on a good face, but that's, that's pretty scary, pretty scary stuff. Obviously it's not like we're in danger, you know, nothing, life-threatening is, is going to happen but you you know like the road ahead is unknown but you know it's not going to be good uh, it's going to be rough so at that point we you know we got out of the house basically went to my in-laws which is on the same piece of property because theirs was slightly higher everyone still had power and for the most part it was pretty normal in the evening it was getting really close to theirs right before we went to bed before almost entering in their house and uh they lived maybe 100 yards off of the road and it was kind of a main road and the road you know was full of water i would say a foot or two enough that big trucks could still drive down the road but not like a sedan and uh, it was texas so there's a lot of big trucks but they uh 
if a car would go by too fast, the ripple and the wake that they would make from driving would like splash up onto the door. And at that point, we're like, if it doesn't stop raining, like right now, it's inevitable that we'll flood this one as well. So, you know, we were crossing our fingers and praying that it wouldn't, but we were pretty sure that it would. So we went to bed and we normally have like a noisemaker to kind of drown out the noise or whatever, mostly as a habit for the kids. Like if there's any other noise, it doesn't wake them up. But I just remember going to sleep with the sound of that rain, which is normally kind of like a a peaceful sound. And I'm not talking about the noisemaker. I'm saying, you know, the actual rain, but it was like not peaceful and not, it's like, I don't know if I'll ever like the sound of rain again after this. I can't remember what time it was, probably like two or three in the morning, like just the power went out and it was obviously crazy hot and humid as well. And that woke us up because any fans or noisemakers or whatever that we had on um, stopped and we knew that, all right, this is it. Um, So pretty restless night, but we woke up in the morning to about a foot, a foot or so in all of their house, which for our house like I said, what was lower, that ended up being, we never measured it, but it was up to the counters. So close to 36 inches or so. So at that point, you know, we didn't have power. We didn't, we had the upstairs that we could live in. So we're debating at this point, is everyone going to be upstairs or we're going to have to find somewhere else to go? Actually, I forgot. There's, there's another family that also joined that had flooded and, and heard that we hadn't yet. So they, they came and joined just a mom and a couple of young kids. And by this point, pretty much the whole town had flooded and they being the South, there's a lot of handy, I hope I don't offend anyone, but rednecks, you know, it's full of rednecks and they've got a bunch of fishing boats, which was awesome. So people from all over that either were in town or, just out of town, you know, a lot of people from Louisiana, they hitched up their fishing boats and they came to basically, I don't know how they coordinated it. I think a lot of it was like Facebook. People would coordinate people who needed picking up and rescuing and taking to other either shelters or homes and businesses and churches that hadn't flooded. And so we, you know, someone arranged for us to to get in a boat to go to a friend's house that was pretty close, but they were on the other side of a railroad track. And that's actually why we flooded is because the railroad track is obviously elevated and our homes were on one side of it and the water wasn't able to get up over that to drain. But our friends were on the other side of it where they obviously still got a lot of water, but they didn't flood in their house. So, so it was crazy to have a boat drive just up the driveway and to the back door and we got out of the house onto this fishing boat. And that took us, you know, to the railroad tracks. And then our friends had a tractor. And we basically got on the tractor that was hooked up to a trailer and took it to their house. And at this point, that was a little nerve-wracking. I wouldn't say full-on fear, at least for me, it might have been for my wife, because that point is the first time we had separated as a family, because we went in two different trips. And, and our youngest, you know, was six months old. And so he was still had bottles and stuff. And I don't know if we, I remember being concerned about having enough formula and I can't remember 
what the scenario was there. It ended up being totally fine, but I remember that being a concern. Were the cell phones working at this time? Yeah. No, cell phones were working fine. And at that point, you know, our friends still had power. They were still dry. And so they they housed us and, and a couple other people for the next few days because it stopped raining probably at some point that day when we evacuated. And, and we would basically, you know, every every day we would wade through the streets back to our house to try and get stuff we needed that was up high or as the water receded, like the sooner you rip out carpets, the better and stuff like that. So we would just, you know, make a daily trip back to our, to check on where the water level was and get anything we needed. And then in one of those trips is when my first moment of, oh shoot, uh, fear set in because it was already crazy. It was apocalyptic. You know, there was helicopters, those big double prop Huey choppers and big military vehicles everywhere, looting, unfortunately, that people take advantage of people being evacuated. And then it's crazy how how quickly the human nature sets in and you go into survival mode where normally really good people will stoop to the level of I'm going to do whatever it takes to keep my family alive, which is a good thing for the most part. But sometimes it's, it's like their, their standards of being a good person lower because of that. Let's get into that. Like without too much detail, like what type of stuff we talking about here that you saw? I didn't see a ton, but well, looting for one, like if when, when you literally feel like it's, survival like i might not live if i don't do this which i normally wouldn't do whether it's you know stealing or just sketchy stuff that that person normally wouldn't do i was just surprised at how quickly even myself just felt that base survival instinct so it was it was just something i'd never experienced because it, it did feel the, the best word for it is apocalyptic. Like it felt like the world was ending and like you were in a zombie apocalypse. And, you know, there's cars all over on the side of the road that had just been trapped and flooded. And the only thing you saw, you know, were just fishing boats going up and down, getting people. But uh, that meant that moment of fear that I mentioned was when, so it was already crazy. It was already bad but the rain had stopped and it was starting to recede. But we got word that one of the dams from the lakes nearby was so full that it was either going to break and all that water would come rushing our way or they had to release it, which would obviously cause a lot more flooding, which is, that's a pretty normal thing with dams is, you know, they have to monitor those levels and they can only hold so much and they have to let some go at those levels, regardless of what it means for people downstream. And so there was a neighborhood that for the most part was fine. But then when they got that news, you know, they had military people going door to door and saying, you've got like five minutes, get whatever you need and get out. And literally within minutes, like that whole neighborhood, it, so ours was up to our counters, but theirs got up to like the roofs. 
And so when we had heard that they, that either the dam will break or they're going to release it, that's when your imagination's like, well, if it's already, you know, waist level and that's going to cause who knows what, like you start imagining, like, are we all going to be like treading water or like sitting on our roofs until who knows what happens? And so that was the first time I was like, whoa, this could be really scary now. Um, but it it didn't. I mean, it got worse for some people, but it, it wasn't. It's never as bad as you imagine, right? Um, we didn't have to get on the roof and, and sit there and wait. I had that fear come upon me at the very first of COVID when it was the day that like the NBA canceled the rest of their games. And that day it was like all of these corporations and, and I was in manufacturing at the time too, and they were shutting down stuff. And I was like, Holy crap, this is like, this is it. And I remember specifically where I was talking with my wife when that panic and fear started to come in. Right. And it it got scary. So I understand that feeling but not in your sense where you are with a bunch of these Texans stranded without your cars and everything. So I can only imagine what it was like to see it and be there. Um, You kept going back to your house. When did you know, like, this isn't going to be saved? Was it, was your house completely destroyed? How, how did that all work out? Yeah. So it's not like a, a rush of water that like, destroys anything from impact it's it's really just water damage which you know water is relentless but you know we got the carpets out as soon as it was receded enough to do that but really what that means is you have to strip the walls to the studs depending on how the water got if you know it soaked up into the insulation so for us it was basically down to the studs and then let it dry out enough that before you know you can rebuild anything and then just the humidity after that so it's already super hot super humid but then the heat after a rainstorm multiplied by 100 is is nuts and like the ceiling fans just from from that water and that heat they just like droop it's crazy that is crazy when did you guys determine this is it we can't move in it's destroyed was it just through all that when you ripped the walls and you're like, we can't live here anymore? How did that decision come about? Um, that's a good question. So the um, our church organizes, um, there's a bunch of volunteers that came from all over. And, you know, we had a group that came to our house to help, you know, tear out the sheetrock and just all the stuff. And basically you drive down the road and, the, the roads are just lined with piles of soaking wet construction debris and furniture, just stuff for weeks and weeks until they can get around everyone and, and basically take it out to the dump. And we also actually joined some of those volunteer groups to help do the same thing for other people. And, you know, everyone handles it differently. But that first moment when we walked into the house and saw, you know, I didn't expect to 
get emotional. But when you see your home from what it was to just destroyed and just down to the studs, it's it's, uh, pretty overwhelming. And uh, yeah, but seeing when we went to volunteer and seeing how others handled it. Um, I mean, some people like was more in, in denial that it even happened just in utter shock. Just, I can't believe this happened. And they're just kind of just sitting there and just overwhelmed. You know, we're asking, you know, do you want to keep this? Do you want to toss this? Where should this go? And they just blank, blank stares. But, uh, and then people ask, did you flood? And we're like, yeah, we did. And they're like, well, why are, why are you here helping other people? Um, when you've got your own stuff to deal with and, you know, it's just what you do. And so it was, it was quite the experience. So tell us how you turn this into a really cool positive. That's one of my favorite things to hear in my dream to do someday. I basically bought one-way tickets to Thailand, about four, four one-way tickets to Chiang Mai, Thailand. It was pretty exciting, but we didn't know what we're getting into. And we knew nothing about the culture. And when you, when you live somewhere, it's easy to fall in love with the culture and the people and our style of, traveling and experiencing new countries is much more we want to see what it's like to really live there not just like the tourist traps or like the things that the more authentic travel experience and so we did we just uh we basically you know we'd find an airbnb we'd buy one-way tickets based on where wherever was cheaper at the time of a neighboring country and we would just bounce around Southeast Asia for, I think it was about six months. It was an amazing experience. So I want to ask this, this is something we had talked about before, but emergency preparedness, what was your thinking about it before this happened? And what was it after this experience? I wouldn't say that it wasn't on my radar, but it's definitely become more real now than, than it was before. And a lot of times when, when people think of that, they may think about, you know, some crazy doomsday prepper or whatnot, but really to me, it's more of, you know, the, the basics that you need for survival. If there ever were a situation where it does come down to, you are literally surviving. And I don't know if it'll ever get to that, you know, crazy, end of the world situation where just everywhere is crazy at the same time. Maybe it will, maybe it won't, who knows, but it's very easy for everyone to relate to some degree with the start of COVID because it was kind of that feeling all over, you know, with the, at least it was with the toilet paper, right. Um, Where everyone, everyone, yeah, everyone feels that scarcity of, Oh shoot, I got to get some stuff because I'm going to be hunkered down for a little bit. 
but the peace that comes with, well, I've already got my toilet paper or my food or water, you know, those things that you need to wear supply chain and local groceries and availability don't really matter. Obviously they would over long enough of a time horizon, but you have a good stockpile of all the necessities that you'd be fine for a while. And so that gives a lot of peace of mind. And we definitely have more of that now than we ever have. And then from a, you know, disaster preparedness type of thing, just thinking through things a little more in more aspects than just the the survival, but do you have adequate insurance if certain things were to happen? With with ours specifically, like homeowners insurance doesn't cover flooding. You have to have a flood insurance. So just making sure you look at all the aspects of if something were to go south, what kind of situation would you be prepared for? It's one of those things where, you know, I was in Kansas City reading about Hurricane Harvey and how they had to change the map because it rained so much in one area. They didn't have a measurement on like the, it would show kind of the water disbursement and they had to change the amount of inches. And that's when the term, I first heard the term atmospheric river and me in Kansas city, it's like, Oh yeah. Wow. Look at that. What's happening in Houston. And I didn't have anybody that it was really impacting um, and you know, like that same year or the year after we'd have tornadoes that would hit around us, but it wouldn't hit us. So until you are hit, you don't realize that you do need to be ready and, and you do need to have an exit plan, you know, and, and you can turn bad things into good things like you guys. Right. Cause yeah. do you, do you think if you would have went through that flooding that you would have went to Thailand with your children like that? Who knows, you know, because you just don't, but there's a very good chance. No, because that was an opportunity that just kind of presented itself because the normal commitment of, well, I'm tied down because of this, that, or the other that's normally there in your life kind of went away temporarily. So it made us like take a step back and think, well, what do we, where are we going to live? What are we going to do? And so, and from a financial standpoint, cause I already worked remote, like it was actually not any, I mean, it sounds glamorous traveling the world and, and it can be expensive and flights obviously were, but from a cost of living standpoint, I mean, Asia is super cheap. So it wasn't any more expensive from uh, monthly expenses um, to do that than it was to just stay there. So that was awesome. You don't have like a like a social media page or anything, do you? If people want to like go and watch the videos and pictures and stuff, um, it's on Instagram slash the traveling Tolmans. All right, man. This was a good recording because as me and Travis were discussing, you don't think about it until you're in that situation. And I had another friend who told me, you are as confident as you are prepared. And so go out there, get an emergency plan done. And I also love, love how Travis responded to this situation that he was in, where he went and he took his family and they fulfilled a dream 
of traveling the world, Southeast Asia for six months. That is so cool. So many people want to do it, but not everybody does it. And it takes these emergency situations to really make you realize what's important in life. So thanks for Travis for coming on and thanks everybody for listening. We'll